Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Mike Adelic. I'm your host, Mike Brancatelli. Thanks for joining me. Got a good episode today. Um, we're talking with author of a book called Getting Higher, The Manual of Psychedelic Ceremony, uh, Julian Vane. And uh, yeah, we had a great conversation, really enjoyed it. Um, it was really cool how uh, this was set up. Basically, I was just, I was contacted uh, by uh, Psychedelic Press who published the book and they wanted me to speak with Julian. So they were nice enough to send the book over to me and it's awesome. You know, sometimes I, I don't really get a chance to read physical copies of books. Uh, you know, I, I listen to a lot of audio books. You know, just it's sometimes I get uh, downloaded to my Kindle. Just a lot of digital stuff. You know, you guys know how it is. You're listening to this podcast right now. I, I, I do a lot of audio consumption. So it's nice to get a physical copy of a book. Um, and I got to say, it's it's a really nice book. And you know, I definitely, uh, <laughs> I definitely, I definitely geek out a lot in my in my podcast episodes, and you guys will you guys will be able to tell for sure. But uh, but I really do get excited, like I get really excited, like almost like a kid sometimes about about stuff like this because because it's fun, you know. It's because it's it's really really fun, and um, and this is a fun book, you know. The artwork is really cool, and and uh, you know, it's designed really well, and so. It's nice to have that. And basically, you know, I, I just want to talk a little bit about Julian and his book and, and the conversation we had and just kind of a little bit about some things that, that touch on that. And, you know, Julian is uh, an occultist and uh, author of, of a bunch of books, essays, journals, and and uh, he's associated with chaos magic, which I don't really have any idea what that what it is. I'm just not it's just I'm not in that realm. So I, I don't know. So it was cool to have him on and to talk to him about that to kind of find out a little bit more. Um, and uh, yeah, and he's you know he's been he's been uh, he's been doing a lot of things in the psychedelic community. He's a leading contributor to the blog of Baphomet.com. I hope I said that correctly, but it's the blog of b a p h o m e t dot com. And of course, all the links are in the show notes uh, attached to this episode. And he's the co-director of the Psychedelic Museum, which we spoke a little bit about, which is really fucking cool. There's a psychedelic museum. You know, there's enough there's enough psychedelic history to have a museum. So that's at psychedelicmuseum.net. And uh, and yeah, and and you know, honestly, I wasn't really aware of him until I was contacted by Psychedelic Press to speak with him. So it was it's cool. You know, it's 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 really cool because there's so many people out there. There's so many people doing all kinds of different things that sometimes something doesn't really hit on my radar. And so it's nice to be contacted and, and offered uh, an opportunity to speak to some of these wonderful people that I get a chance to speak with. And, you know, I think one of the things that, that, I, that I appreciate so much, uh, you know, this, this book, Getting Higher, uh, it's like a manual uh, for exploring the the use of psychedelic substances in in the context of of kind of like any way that you want to choose, it's like a guidebook of choosing ways to enhance the psychedelics experience. Experience, and uh, you can use it for spirituality or self transformation or magic. You know, and and that's one of the things that I want to talk about a little bit. You know, because that's that's an unfamiliar kind of realm, I think, for a lot of people, and it's definitely unfamiliar for me. But as you guys know, listening to this podcast, 
you know, my experience with ayahuasca has led me to kind of be more of a believer, I guess, or, or, or just it, it, it's <laughs> there at least like all of us listening to this episode are open to the idea. There's a lot of people out there that are not open to the idea of magic and, and wonder and, and mystery and, and things that can't be quantified or explained or, or something like that. But um, as, as Julian puts it, there's no requirement to believe in anything other than the wonders of our own neurochemistry and the value of the psychedelic experience, trusting the value of the experience and trusting our own you know, neurochemistry. Um, and, and that's, and that's really, really cool because if you're open into choosing to, to, you know, I want to say believe, but it's not, it's not really, it's not really a belief, but I guess I'm just going to use the word believe because that that's kind of the word that I want to use because I feel like a lot of people do lose the, the sense of kind of magic and wonder in their lives and, and they, they, they ch- I guess, choose not to believe in that stuff because they think that it's not, you know, maybe it's oh, it's not real or it's, you know, we can't measure it or w- w- whatever it is. You know, there's this kind of materialist, reductionist mind, you know, that manifests out of all of us. All of us human beings have a, sor- a certain sense of, well, we want to make sure that things are in order, things are in control, things are... Um, you know, that, that, that we have a handle on things, that we can deal with things, that the world makes sense to us and that we make sense to the world. And we constantly, you know, live our lives trying to fit into certain kinds of parameters. And, you know, we, we give into groupthink and we give into kind of herd mentality. And that's kind of natural for our nature and our biology in order to survive. You know, we have to be willing to to know who to trust and when to sense danger and those sorts of things. But, you know, I've mentioned this on podcasts in the past where I've done some solo podcasts and stuff, but it's this kind of, you know, the psychedelic experience is, 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 is almost like, you know, being, being able to let go, being able to give up, surrender, submit, and trust the process of the of the flow of the universe, of the flow of your own, as Julian says, your own neurochemistry. Um, just giving that, allowing that to happen, allowing to breathe in and trust and just, you know, go where it takes you and, and, and figure out and put put the pieces together for yourself. And there's so many different approaches and there's so many different paths. There's so many different ways to go about this. There's so many ways to enhance the experience through set and setting. And as, uh, as, as we mention in this podcast, you know, we talk about all these things. I'm not going to go further into talking about what we discuss on the podcast, but we get into all this stuff on the, on the podcast uh, when we're talking about the book, Getting Higher, the manual uh, for, of, uh, the, sorry, excuse me, Getting Higher. The Manual of Psychedelic Ceremony. That is the full title of the book. So, I, I the other day I was watching, um, I watched the movie The Polar Express. And it's this animated movie that came out maybe 10 years ago with Tom Hanks. And um, I remember having, I had that hardcover book, The Polar Express, when I was a kid. Um, and... 
I loved that book and and this you know I love that physical copy of that book it was maybe like a you know it was a wide book so like you know 12 inches or something like that and it had you know wide big big pages of uh, pictures on both pages and it was a crisp crisp thick pages in the book beautiful illustrations glossy kind of winter wonderland illustrations you know it was a christmas book and and i think you know when i was a child my parents would kind of bring out the the christmas books and we would decorate the house and it would be filled with wonderful spectacular christmas type stuff and i remember just having a few books that i really enjoyed i really enjoyed the art the illustration the look the feel of the books and I remember the Polar Express book had some kind of like gold emblem on it or something like it won some kind of award or something. I, I don't even I don't know. I don't have the information in front of me, but I remember being like, oh, cool. This is very it was very regal. It was very. Uh, I really I got like a very warm sensation from reading that book and and uh, and just imagining myself as the main character, the kid who goes on this magical journey on the Polar Express on the train and to the North Pole to meet Santa and all the elves because he doesn't believe. And, and then he brings back the bell. And, you know, spoiler alert, you know, he at first he doesn't hear the ring of the bell, but then he chooses to believe and then he hears the bell and then he comes back and he gives it to his sister and she hears the bell. And, but the parents can't hear the bell because they're so far gone from living in the mystery and the wonder and choosing to believe in the magic of everything that they can't hear the bell and then you know it's sad kind of it's a little bittersweet you know the the <clears throat> the sister who's younger she grows older and she doesn't hear the bell anymore but he still hears the bell he still chooses to live in the magic in the mystery in the wonder in the awe of it all and i just thought that was kind of cool like as a kid i thought that was cool and as a kid i felt that so i really i kind of related to it you know i under i understood I I lived in a world of imagination and magic when I was a child. It just it was I was I was outside playing with my brothers and and you know kids on the street and we grew up in you know when I was like a child it was the early 90s so it was like you know 92 93 around that time we were outside all day and we were just you were we were riding bikes. I mean we still played video games. We had I think Super Nintendo and Sega were probably the two video games that were very popular and then later on I got into N64 but I lived in the in the in an immersive world of magic and mystery and wonder and awe and infinite possibility and I know you know you guys can relate to this cuz I think most kids you know most kids who have the opportunity to grow up so lucky do you know in a kind of affluent suburban town and riding our bikes uh, all over the place, building forts in the woods, imagining that we're pirates, you know, and stuff like that, and playing all kinds of fun games. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden that stuff doesn't, you know, that stuff just seems kind of like, you know, that's just for kids, it's for children, and we, we really distance ourselves from that. We shut it down and we shut it off, and then a lot of us lose it entirely forever. We grow up to be these kind of just cold, gray, rational, logical adults that, you know, have to have everything perfectly fit in order and, 
you know, we talk about all these mundane things like, oh, look at this watch I have and look at this thing, that, you know, whatever. Oh, this gives me joy and happiness, but I'm slowly dying inside. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's maybe my perception of, of a lot of people, but... But you do. But people do have a tendency to lose that connection. I think maybe if you, if you continue to kind of keep your mind expanded, that you can, that you feel like that you can live in that mystery and live in that sense of wonder and that sense of magic and awe. And it's just fun and and it's interesting and it's it makes life with a, it, it creates a little bit more spice of, uh, for life and it makes it more fun and interesting you know <laughs> i'm trying to come up with other words here to say but that's really it you know i don't want to go too long here in the intro but i i really enjoyed that so i i i think this is a good conversation a good podcast the book is getting higher the manual of psychedelic ceremony julian vane um go get the book there's the links are all on the show notes it's really cool it's designed really well and the artwork is fantastic and it it does really kind of it's it basically says look it's okay to allow this kind of sense of magic and wonder back into your life and here's a manual for for having fun with it for doing it and i think that's just really cool it's really cool that we live in a world now where these things are becoming more and more accepted more and more infused into the mainstream that i could have a podcast where i interview people like this and we talk about it and we ch- you know try and push it out there to as many people as possible and spread this and that's um <clears throat> and that's really what i'm trying to do so just to kind of cap that all off, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is that the this, this, the feelings of, of choosing to believe and, and living immersed in the mystery and the magic of life that we all shared in and that I just kind of explained to you how I, sh- I felt when I was a child, we can continue that. And I, I, I try and continue that into my life as much as possible these days. So, so that's it. That's my little intro rant thing and uh yeah that's it so this podcast will be a good one i hope you guys enjoy and if you do um please leave me a nice rating and review on itunes that's like the one of the best ways you can help the show is just going on itunes you know take out your phone go to your itunes app you know find mikeadelic m-i-k-e-a-d-e-l-i-c you obviously know probably how it's spelled because you're listening and you're looking down at it right now but just go on there, leave me a nice little rating and review. It's great. We got 44 ratings and reviews, so I'd love to get to 50. And the ratings and reviews, they just help so much. You know, I'm, I'm just, I'm such a fan of ratings and reviews because that's what I use to find good stuff. I go on Yelp all the time and I try and find restaurants that have good ratings and reviews. And I took a, I, you know, I take a look at the ratings and reviews. I see what people are saying, you know, because sometimes... You can tell if somebody's just kind of bitter or angry. Maybe they left something that they it really seems kind of just not not right. Doesn't really fit in with the with what the rest of people are saying. So it's a great way to find out what's good and 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 you know what's worth sharing and stuff. So if you guys enjoy this, please just go and do that for me. That would be so helpful. Uh, and I feel so good, by the way, when I read the ratings and reviews. I mean, it's like it's the best currency that anyone could ever have. It's just like when people say nice things about you, I mean, it's fantastic. I, I, I can't, it's like greater than any ecstasy on the planet. It's just so, so wonderful. So thank you. Thank you so much to all of you wonderful people that go and do that. All you beautiful souls and beings and, and energies and manifestations of, uh, of selves. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
And if you really want to support the show, you can go on Patreon. That's patreon.com. And search for me. It's uh, page, it's uh, patreon.com slash Mike Brank, B-R-A-N-C. And, uh, and you can find my page there where I'm you know obviously trying to create this podcast based on the benefits of psychedelics, the psychedelic experience, cognitive liberty, big ideas in our world. And uh, yeah, I'm, I, I'm not very I'm not really promoting it too actively, but the page is there. If you guys feel like you want to go on there and contribute, please go do so. You can contribute anything, a dollar, two, you know, th- far, five, whatever. I have some rewards set up on the side here. So, you know, the more you contribute, the more war- uh, rewards you get. And we're going to do some cool things on Patreon because Patreon is really a great, it's, it's really amazing. I mean, I love releasing these episodes for free on iTunes, but Patreon, let me tell you, folks, if you enjoy the podcast that I do solo where I'm talking about, you know, where I'm just kind of inducing a flow state and just kind of riffing on some ideas and and going off like that, I got some big things planned that for that because there's no censoring on Patreon. It's just I'm uploading direct audio files to Patreon. So I'm going to be able to say literally whatever I want without worrying about being restricted on YouTube, which I have for some for some things and uh, and other places. So, you know, there's a tremendous movement happening right now in the world, this, the, the psychedelic renaissance, if you want to call it that, but the, the emerging of new ideas and the connectivity of sharing those new ideas is, is what's really going to kind of, you know, change the world if you want to go so bold. Um, and so to keep that open and free and to keep those ideas flowing and to keep believing in the wonder and the mystery and the magic of, of it all... Uh, and to live a good life and to live a, you know, in a, in a, in a, just a, a truthful, meaningful way. I want to be able to say whatever I want and share it wherever I want and, and get it to the most amount of people as I can. So Patreon is going to be a cool way of doing that too for some, for some episodes and also like some special episodes where we're going to have group podcasts, uh, group discussion podcasts. Uh, Dave Rubin does this thing where he does the fan show. So I want to do that. I want to do a fan show. So there's tons of, of really cool things that are happening on Patreon. So if you guys feel like you really want to go the extra mile and get involved in this community that I'm trying to create here and this and you know add this these extra benefits and provide some extra value for you guys, just go on over to patreon.com slash Mike Brank and, you know, like I said, a dollar or two, really, it's up to you. I mean, the, I have reward tiers here set up for $50 to $100 and, and so on. But, you know, all I'm really asking for, I mean, is like a dollar or two. If everybody that listened to this show gave a dollar or two, I mean, we'd be in a fantastic place. We'd be in a really great place. Um, and as I say on my Patreon page, I want to develop more of a, a studio space for myself I want to get a little bit. I want to hire some people to work for me. I want. I want to do some more graphic design stuff, and I want to spread. I want to create this Mikeadelic brand to be a little bit bigger. You know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of websites out there. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of collectives. You know, Collective Evolution. Joe Martino, who I had on this podcast a little while ago, what he's doing with his organization, and Jason Bassler of the Free Thought Project, who I had on this podcast a little while ago, uh, Sarah Gale of the Zendo Project. You know, there's a lot of people that are that are kind of stepping up in the and 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 having 
having a collective group of people working together on a project. And so far, this podcast has been pretty much solo. It's just me. You know, I do a solo podcast. I rant and then I interview guests. But I really want to expand it. And so I got a lot of exciting ideas, a lot of big ideas, a lot of things planned for it. And um, I want to make it really fun. You know, there's a, there's a lot of podcasts out there. You can listen to a lot of podcasts that talk about psychedelics and spirituality and government and politics and liberty and freedom and, and you know, whatever you're interested, science, magic. There's a lot of podcasts out there. Um, but I really want to bring this thing to a larger level, to a bigger level where it's a more of a multimedia kind of personality-driven, fun environment, you know, a very fun and cool environment. Uh, I want to get a Snapchat channel and just do a lot of big things. But we really do need your support, and if you want to show your support, like I said, just like the show, share the show, talk about it with your friends. Go on iTunes, leave a rating and review. Five-star rating and review would be great. Or go to Patreon. If you really want to go to the extra mile, go to Patreon. Give a dollar. You know, give a dollar a month. That's all I'm asking for, really. I mean, that's a couple cents, two cents or three cents a day. Really, you know, some people spend $3 a, a day on a cup of coffee. So do the math. If you can do it, I appreciate it. If not, that's cool. We're growing this show. We're moving along. We're doing great. And I appreciate all your support. All right. Without further ado... Thank you guys so, so much. Um, I have some announcements, some things coming up, but I'll probably do that in the intro of the next podcast that I have. The next podcast is going to be with Casey William Hardison, and it's an amazing one. I'm, I'm psyched. We talk about cognitive liberty and a bunch of other great things. But this one was also fantastic as well, and I had an excellent time uh, speaking with Julian Vane. I hope you guys will be able to tell from the conversation we had. You know, and uh, I definitely... Um, I geek out a lot and, and get very excited about it. But uh, like I said, the book is awesome. The artwork, the way it's presented, the, the physical copy of the book. It's just a, a nice book. Uh, go get it. It's called Getting Higher, the Manual of Psychedelic Ceremony with Julian Vane. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Julian Vane. Psychedelics are illegal, not because a loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third-story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. They open to us the possibility that everything we know is wrong. We don't need new laws that control our consciousness and rigidly place it in a prison. Cognitive liberty. The fact that as adults, if we're not hurting anybody else, we should have the right to explore the contours of our own consciousness without any mediation or legislation on the part of somebody else. Reject authority. Authority is a lie. Voice of perception. Information is power, but we have to seize, seize the opportunity. The opportunity. The opportunity. Book, by the way, and I love the art. It's fantastic. 
Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. really just but, like uh, absolutely incredible. I'm, I'm such a fan of, you know, sometimes you get these, um, you know, these psychedelic books and, and they're just kind of real dense and they're real like, they're not so they're not as playful as they should be and 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 the the artwork is all messy and it's all over the place yours is a uh, is is perfect i love the artwork it's like kind of an, this organized chaos kind of model which i'm a huge <laughs> fan of and and it's the perfect size the book's the perfect size and it's and it's you know they got the perfect amount of chapters and it's the perfect amount of playfulness to this subject matter where in my view is like you know People are out there and they're doing stuff. We might as well educate yeah. them. We might as well inform them. We might as well give them yeah. some options and then they can freely choose whether they should make these decisions or not, right? That's exactly it. I mean, in terms of the story of the book, in terms of the, sort of the whole thing, we're looking at that. It's, it's uh, something that I've been working on and off uh, on for, for a number of years. I've kind of written a load, bunch of other stuff sort of, you know, while this has been going on. And so what I've tried to do with getting higher is I've tried to create a text that's kind of, that's relatively short, that's reasonably authoritative. So, I mean, you know, it's uh, lots of people have seen this, this, this text and kind of critiqued it and given me their ideas. Um, it's, it's hopefully something which is kind of clear enough that people can read it like a manual. This is how to do this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's kind of got a little bit of playfulness. It's certainly got this beautiful artwork, which um, Pete Loveday, who's uh, quite a well kind of respected um, sort of underground kind of comic artist, particularly working in the sort of the 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 80s and the 90s in Britain. So I kind of it, it turned out that he only lived sort of you know uh, a short drive away from me. So I kind of got talking with him about the project, and uh, and he he's he you know I we commissioned him to do some artwork for it, which is fantastic, and it gives it that. Um, now, and that's part of the reason for calling it getting higher rather than some sort of more terribly sober name like sort of, you know, entheogenic practice right. for advanced practice, you know, whatever, <laughs> you know, it's like systems, okay, let's, systems let's... guide 101 to psychedelic oh, use. Man. Yeah. <laughs> Just it's like it's like the first revel the first summer of love ever happens. I mean, come on, it's 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 about playfulness. And part of the thing that I'm really interested in with getting higher is that here are these techniques that are drawn from both contemporary practice and experiment and they're also drawn from uh, various kind of let's call them indigenous native traditions uh, who have uh, entheogenic practice let's bring those things together but part of the point of this is not just like a po-faced oh let's all be spiritual on drugs because part of the thing about um, many not all but many aspects of the psychedelic experience is that there is a joy and there is an ecstasy in that mm -hmm. and actually that i think that's a very valid uh, thing to do because that's something that feeds our souls right. you know when we talk about recreation we can uh, sort of you know it's yeah we kind of know it has a well-being component and stuff but actually having the experience of for example sitting in a peyote ceremony yes it's transformative yes it's spiritual yes there are prayers yes there is you know ritual stuff going on but it's also really good fun yeah, yeah? it's really enjoyable and i don't uh, you're one of the things in the book is i don't uh, necessarily think that these these things have to be kind of separate se uh, separate um ways of interacting with these uh, these substances and so we should be playful we should be joyful we should be thankful and and pleased that um even under such difficult uh, political and and uh, and and legal conditions uh, many people have access to these substances many people use them very very well very successfully and hopefully this book will will help them do that you know more or in different ways or inspire them to do their own stuff yeah, and I and I know it will because it's so it's just so beautiful. It's so beautifully packaged together. It's it's so nice and 
and inviting and warm and and like you said playful and but informative and it's just it's really really when you put things out there in the world like that and, and like you mentioned with this kind of turbulent time where things aren't really the way that we would maybe like them to be it it, it uh-huh. gives people a uh, kind of a wink and a nod to come over and to look at something that's easily digestible, easily consumable, not intimidating, not threatening, but beautiful and 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 wonderful and informative. And I think you've done that here with this with this book, Getting Higher, um, a, a manual for psychedelic ceremony. And so it's 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 really. Um, it's really a much needed service. I always say that I say this to a lot of guests because I, I really believe that, you know, in the times that we're living right now, where if we want to see uh, if we want to see kind of different uh, types of of peaceful and happy and fun, you know, because like you mentioned, I mean, whatever happened to that? Right. I mean, we we humans work so hard. We take everything so seriously. Let's have a little fun. Let's put a little priority and a little importance on fun. So I think yep. by putting things out there in the world like this, it it makes it okay for people to kind of you know they can see that there's something out there that maybe they can connect with and they can and they can dive into and 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 books like this do that you know works of art and and like this do that so kudos to you (laughs) thank thank you very much thank you very much i'm I'm, I'm really pleased that that you 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 like the book so so much and that you can see so much in it because it like i say it's taken a, a long time to to um, produce and I try to make the thing really accessible as well. So part of the point of it is that you can be coming to these substances as um, as a scientist, as an experimenter, somebody who wants to investigate what you know what what um, these experiences might be like. You might be coming to these substances with a kind of a real uh, mission of self transformation. You know, there's something wrong. There's a healing that you require that you believe that these substances might be able to help you with. You might be coming to these substances because of uh, having encountered them in a kind of shamanistic or, or religious kind of context. And it, and hopefully the book is worded in such a way that it doesn't really matter what you believe or what belief system you inhabit if you are using these uh, uh, psychedelic substances, these sacraments, these medicines, this, these drugs – then here are techniques that will broadly work. And some of them are drawn from particular spiritual traditions. Um, but mostly I think that they're kind of worded in a way that's just really accessible so that, you know, anyone can do them. Yeah, no, they, it definitely, it definitely is. And, you know, I'm a big, I, I'm really, um, I, I guess I you know, kind of like a fanboy of like Steve Jobs, Apple. I don't know. I just kind of mm. got into that whole but uh but I really do I mean there is something appealing about their style and the way that they do things and I think that your book is very stylish and it's and it's smooth and it's easy to read and it's you know well uh, spaced out and there's proper chapters and detailed uh, instructions for things so if you wouldn't mind let's let's talk a little bit about um, sure. some of the content that's in this, this great book. So people have a little bit of an idea, maybe give them like a little teaser or so to speak for, for each kind of chapter. And, and like I mentioned, there's 12 mm-hmm. chapters here. Um, and, uh, and then, and then we can, we can go from there. But so, so basically, you know, cool. we start off with, um, with a calling, uh, to the spirits, right? So there's this, there's yeah. this kind of mystical element that kind of captures us from the, from the beginning, this kind of enchantment, you know, you're setting the stage almost like you're the the, the Gandalf of the psychedelic ceremony. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> how, t- take us through what this calling to the spirits is is all about. Okay, so so calling to the spirits. I've just grabbed a copy of the book so I can remind myself what we what we've got in it. <laughs> um, so 
uh, Calling to the Spirits is uh, an example of uh, a ceremony uh, that, that I did uh, with my partner and um, it's, uh, it's, it's not intended for people to repeat. It's a kind of serving suggestion. So it's a slightly sort of, um, you know, uh, more poetically than the rest of the book, I guess, a kind of written account of a ceremony. So, 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 so ceremony. This particular one, I think, involves uh, psilocybin mushrooms. Um, yeah. And there are various examples of ceremonies that are given within the book. Some of them are, are, are if you like, I, I guess, let's call them again, native or traditional practices. Some of them are right. um, examples of um, uh, inner world kind of journeys or meditations that one might do. Some of them are kind of full on sort of entheogenic ceremonies and examples of those. So these are these are punctuated throughout the book in order to give the reader a kind of a fleshed out sense of the technique that's being talked about. So otherwise, talking about technique for me, I love to actually know, well, say, okay, so what should we do? I'm really interested in technique. But equally, it's kind of nice to say, oh, this is kind of the one outcome. This is one in map. This is one uh, uh, scenario that might output. And you can see, hopefully, in that, the different techniques being used. So in Mm -hmm. um, that first section... Uh, in calling to the spirits, the, big, the the whole point of it is that the book, like the psychedelic adventure, begins by just kind of clearing the deck. It begins by kind of setting the scene. It begins by, um, uh, in this particular instance, there's uh, there's an um, I think that we make a, a sort of an offering to Ganesh, which is one of the 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 um, uh, deities or imaginal entities or whatever you want to call it. Um, that I like to use at the beginning of, of uh, not every ceremony, but there's some ceremonies. So you you have this um, god who is the god of um, removal of obstacles, the god of the gateway and the god of uh, beginnings, which is at the beginning of the book, which is also the reason that if you look on the mandala on the front, there's a picture of Ganesh dancing. So the, mm-hmm. the, the book, I hope, is also kind of takes you through this sort of psychedelic experience and it opens with this um calling to the spirits and the spirits that I'm talking about. Um, I go on and I kind of explain this sort of throughout the book is that one of the things that you get within a lot of kind of uh, entheogenic or, or, or psychedelic um, uh, uh, either culture, cultures, let's call them, is this idea of um, the medicines that you're working with, perhaps some of the experiences that you encounter as being spirits. Now, whether or not you choose to believe that spirits are like real things, they're like kind of conscious entities out there in another dimension or whatever, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that human neurology is de- geared to deal with other personalities. That's, what, right. that's why we, the first thing we recognize as humans is a face. And mm-hmm. so the spirits is a way of, like with the image of Ganesh that's being used, it's a way of externalizing. If you look at it at a psychological level, it's a way of externalizing um, an aspect of oneself or an idea, uh, and then falling into relationship with that. So, if you fall, if you have a relationship with a drug, if you imagine that drug as a spirit, and you think about how you would go about meeting a, a spirit uh, in the same way that you might, you know, the way that you would meet a, a spirit that is a human being, you know, having that kind of way of thinking of things is helpful. It doesn't matter if you believe it's true or not. It's a, it's a, right. it's a, it's a, it's a neuro hack. To use the, uh, um, the parlance of our time. Yeah. <laughs> indeed, hack, yeah. indeed. Indeed. So calling to the spirits is that it's the, it's the opening of the book and it's an example of the kind of entheogenic ceremonies that appear later on in the text. 
Right. Yeah. No, that's it's it's, it's fantastic. It's amazing. What it's a, such a beautiful opening, and um, I, I really liked this this part in the beginning of the book. We were talking about uh, the intelligent use of sacred substances that they can re- like reveal something inside of us. We can explore. We can change ourselves, and then by doing that, we can then change the world. I mean that that's something that I feel very passionately about and kind of what this show is all about, you know, it's kind of the, the inner exploration and, and then, you know, creating a better world on, on the outside as well. And what you were just talking about with create, with the spirits and, and the manifestation of kind of the inner workings of, of our psyche and, and these sorts of things, it's, it's just, it's so fun to, to attach things to that. And I think we've really lost that. And that's why, you know, uh, I look back at, at, at history a lot and, and look at all of these wonderful myths and religions and figures and, you know, spirits and, and all these kinds of um, fun and playful cultures that have popped up around uh, use of psychedelic substances, which manifests a, a very kind of fun belief system into into being and, you know, specifically thinking of, you know, Hinduism or, or you know, things things like that where you're where you were speaking of Ganesh. So, yeah, I mean, I, I really I really think that if we had a little bit more uh, freedom for the individual to explore their inner realms of consciousness, then that would in turn create these kinds of new modalities. And then we can reintroduce some of these fun manifestations of spirits and entities back into our culture. Uh, I think that would be a yeah, wonderful thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that there's all kind of, well, man, there's loads of to unpack from that. I mean, there's that whole thing about you know, <laughs> destabilizing the imagined Cartesian difference between matter and mind, which, of course, right. psychedelics do amazingly well because they are physically matter that changes our mind. Yes, and so, yes, yes. you know, having, you know, and so, so having um, those kinds of experiences, uh, 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 you know, ambient and accepted within culture would be hugely transformative. It would be hugely uh, stressful for 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 a number of the kind of aspects of the status quo. But I think it's um, I think it's uh, it, it for me it's an important project, both sort of personally and also kind of culturally. Because yes, you it's 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 absolutely the case that if you change yourself and your perspective in the world and you develop. Um, enhanced um, empathy, uh, understanding a broader perspective of your own f- of your own faults and uh, and and uh, uh, abilities. All of those things that the psychedelic experience can 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 provide for us potentially, if we if we engage with it in a, um, a you know useful, supportive kind of a way, that transforms right. you. That transforms transforms all your interactions with all the other people that you have all the economic interactions that you have all the social interactions that you have you know the the sexual ones the spiritual ones all of that stuff changes you don't even have to believe in some kind of magic woo woo kind of quantum stuff which is completely cool you know i'm happy to do yeah, that sort of yeah. thing but yeah. just pragmatically as we transform ourselves and our relationships with others that transforms the world yeah. Right. And psychedelics right. are one of the most powerful technologies to allow us to do that, particularly when they be, when they are. And this is the kind of one of the reasons I use this term. It's obviously it comes from or I'm informed uh, by the sort of Native American traditions where we talk about medicine, because the medicine is this thing of the psychedelic uh, triangle of set setting and substance. And if mm-hmm. we can create the medicine we know that we can heal people of PTSD. We know that we can heal people of alcoholism. It may be possible if we are d- dealing with this in a non-pathological kind of sense that we may be able to heal much broader aspects of our culture if more mm-hmm. people are engaging with the medicine. So I, right. you know, I think that that's yeah. the thing to do. 
Yeah, and and it's important to have this kind of, you know, I I feel grateful that we live in this kind of renewed psychedelic renaissance time right now where there's more and more research being done. You know, we see more and more people kind of venturing down to the jungles to participate in ayahuasca ceremonies. And, you know, I myself have done that and, and, and just more and more exploring. And I think, you know, humans are naturally explorers and, and naturally when we explore, we need some, some maps and some guides for that exploration. So we do it the right way. So we, we can enhance it and tweak it and use it to the best of our ability in the way that that yep. we're meant to do and which is our god-given you know birthright or or however you want you want to see it uh, in terms of that context but yeah um so but you mentioned the 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 this is this is what i feel is so important and this is a part of uh the beginning of your book is the psychoactive triangle you get right into it you know this is kind of right after the intro it's like let's talk about one of the most crucial and important things you know one of the things that they found out fairly quickly in in the early '60s when it started to blow up. Uh, I was, you know, I was just reading a lot of kind of Tim Leary stuff and 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 Ram Dass, uh, Richard Alpert stuff here, and 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 how the, the the use of set and setting was so important, and that was something that they seem not to really be able to put together in in a real serious way. But I think now now that we have this kind of psychedelic renaissance happening, and it's being kind of more, it's it's seeping into the mainstream more and more. It seems like every day I hear I see more articles and more things like this. So let's talk a little bit about this psychoactive triangle that you speak about in your book with set setting and substance. Okay, so so um, we've got the substance, we've got the drug. What is it you're going to be using? And obviously in in the book, there's you know without banging on about the whole health and safety thing because people generally are intelligent and aware of these things. It's like okay, do your research, find out about the substance, find out about how it varies in terms of its administration. You know, um, all that sort of stuff. What's the what's the sourcing of this material? You know, how ethical, how comfortable are you with it, and and so on. And then it comes down to, yeah, set and setting. So this was, yeah, the big news really from kind of Leary's work and, and, and um, his colleagues. And we, the thing about set and setting now is that we have two other great strands of information, which were kind of sort of available to, to at the first wave of, you know, LSD research, but, but are very, very clearly um, available now. So we have new research coming out through things like fMRI studies, particularly the ones um, that uh, happened last year in Britain. Um, yeah, was it so we've got uh, much more from detailed... uh, Dr. Was uh, it, it was... David, Mutt, David Nutt and uh, the, yeah. the Beckley Foundation? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think it was uh, Robin Carr Harris and, uh, and various other people. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. We, you know, we've got, we've got that imperial, uh, imperial study and we've got the data from that and some of the other, you know, psilocybin and various other things. So we've got this kind you know, of, you know, it's really uh, in- not to cut you off, but you know, I just want to throw this in there sure. real quick. You know, you know, it's pretty funny, Julian, and I'm sure you could probably agree with me on this is like whenever these studies come out, you know, and I, I, uh, people who have taken, you know, LSD or people who have, who have smoked cannabis or whatever, and you see these studies like, LSD can make you uh, happier, and you know it's like, well, yeah, duh, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. LSD yeah. can it's cure true. depression. It's, it's like, yeah, no shit, yeah. It's true. <laughs> I mean, I think I think there are there are several things there. I'm 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 um, work with uh, as part of um, the wider committee on a thing called Breaking Convention, which is a big kind of psychedelics conference, which is coming up at the end of June uh here here in uh in, in london uh in greenwich Great. and so i'm kind of you know reasonably close to some of the people who are kind of doing this research and the ongoing story and the interesting thing of course is that there are a number of layers to the research so one layer is 
pragmatically, every single time someone gets a license to research one of these chemicals, that's a good thing. And frankly, they could be like, you know, just repeating the same, and this has been done, the same toxicology studies that were being done, you know, in the 50s. And it's going to be the same data. But every time that license is granted, it makes it easier for the next person and easier for the next person. And then eventually we can start to get to a more cutting edge stuff. Yeah. The second thing about it is that very often the research, the um, the stated aim of the research will be one thing, but there will be a whole bunch of other research that's taking place on top of it, which is much more interesting and won't be published for a few years. So, for example, um, my partner, Nikki, was involved in um, doing some research where she was injected with DMT for science. Mm. And uh, they did an um, uh, electroencephalograph of her, her brain waves, and, and that's the data they were looking at. And they were looking at things like, the, the, they're looking at, you know, how does this stuff get metabolized in the body? What's its toxicity? Frankly, we know all this. You know, that's, mm -hmm. that's all known. But what's more interesting is that on top of this, um, they're also asking a lot more interesting questions about the subjective experience there's there's other aspects to the research that are going on as well so we're seeing at the moment the blunt instrument end of all of that but there's much more interesting stuff in the pipeline over the next few years mm -hmm. as well as that research aspect and yes isn't it funny that we kind of get reports that say do you know that yeah lsd make can make you appreciate music in a different way <laughs> yeah no yeah, shit. yeah. <laughs> um, right but as well as that, the other the other strand that we've got in terms of the set and setting uh, is that we've got a, a much better understanding and a much better engagement. And we are now members of this this global medicine community. So mm -hmm. lots of those people who had had the technology of using ayahuasca or using peyote, lots of those um, those groups are now globalized. Yeah, so you've got kind of all Indians coming over to, you know, Europe and running ceremonies. You've got kind of like Native American people, you know, um, working with people in, in, in different parts of the globe. So the technology of holding the space, the technology of set and setting, um, which was, you know, these various ritual approaches, some of which are more or less embedded within a kind of a religious framework or a shamanic framework or whatever, so today what we've got and what I hope I've been able to kind of um, express a bit with, with, within the book is that we've got this lovely kind of confluence of all of the new research that's coming out um, and the, 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 the new and finer grain understanding of what, how psychedelics work in the brain. And we've also got this kind of massive now corpus of knowledge culturally about how we hold psychedelic space. Also, as a culture, we've gone through two waves of it. If I think of Western culture, we went through, we learned how to hold the space of LSD to some mm -hmm. extent. We invented things like music festivals for that purpose. Right. And then what happens is NDMA happened. We, we created a thing called the rave, mm -hmm. which is another way of holding that space. So as cultures, we're, we're, we're actually starting to learn something ourselves, you know, having been cut off from our psychedelic traditions for whatever reason, at whatever point in history you want to pick. Mm -hmm. Um and so I think that now the the idea of you know set setting and substance we can really articulate that we can really understand the pharmacology of these things, we can really understand the uh, the individual neurological psychological processes that go on, and we can also look very much at the kind of setting and be informed by those kind of indigenous traditions and those experiments that have happened in Western culture over the course of the last you know seventy or so years. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
Yeah, and it's 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 such an important thing to be to be studied, you know. And it's just like you know, it, it's almost uh, in a way where you know I was joking when I you know it's saying like oh duh sure. you know we know these things yeah. are make us happy or whatever, but it's it's almost like you know the human beings we we need. There's there's a part of us that we have to work with, you know, that kind of yin yang like you know effect where it's like there's that constant pushing and pulling back and forth where the the rational logical mind needs to understand things that can't really be understood, and then there's the people that don't really need to understand. They can just kind of venture out, open up their soul, guide, be guided by their intuition, that sort of thing. So it's that balance between the two, the kind of uh, that or that dance, so to speak, between the two that kind of that fuels fuels uh, the the progress that we're making sure and 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 some of it is also is you know a lot of this has to be really seen as a kind of real politic tactic Mm -hmm. so if we're going to change the way that psychedelics are seen in our culture one of the things that we have to do is we have to be able to present um compelling information and evidence about how these things work in the brain and we also have to demonstrate what we already know which is their healing potential Mm -hmm. so that's why people like maps have been doing the amazing stuff that they've been doing with post-traumatic stress disorder and mdma uh, as a breakthrough uh psychotherapeutic agent because we we know you know, and we can go and look at the ethnography of, of, of the cultures that use these things like the, 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 the Wicholi people and, uh, you know, like some of the um, Native American Plains people and so on. We know that these things are beneficial, but now we can absolutely prove it. It is, of course, a great irony that MDMA, a drug that makes people love each other, essentially, yeah. Yeah. like yeah, to tolerate each other more and enjoy music, that that drug is actually coming back into culture through the fact that we've managed to send so many of our armed forces into various conflict zones that we now have, you know, a huge veteran population who are, you know, met many of whom are deeply troubled by their experiences. And so it's the engine of war that has allowed the medicine of love to come back into our culture. But this is a strategy. You know, lots of those people who are working in those fields, um, uh, including people like MAPS, you know, would like to see um, a broader model than just a medicalized model of, um, of, of how these substances can be used. But and and wh- who knows how this works out in terms of you know the historical narrative cut to 20 years time and we'll discuss it right but at least at the moment that's a tactic i think well yeah i mean it's just such a sad tragic thing to have happen where you know we we've let our our uh human insanity get so out of control to the point where you know here in the US i mean we've just, you know we've been in, in afghanistan for years you know all these just these wars uh-huh. and these just these terrible horrible things that have to happen to a human being and and then you have these you know these poor guys coming back you know the, these soldiers and and here in the, you know the stats are are 22 suicides uh, a day which is uh, you know it adds up to more people killing that more soldiers or veterans rather killing themselves than actually being killed in the line of duty yep. and it's just so yep. sickening and in this weird ironic way it's almost like the you know this 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 sick tragic war and this this loss of human life and this torture is is birthing this love and this and this empathy and this really deep intention that people have to do things like venture to the Amazon jungle for healing and for therapy and for therapeutic uh, opening up and all this kinds of stuff and and with the things yeah. that maps are doing I mean so in a way we're almost like the the rebellion of of maybe the 60s kind of 
uh, tightened the grip on that war and made that war machine even stronger and more vicious and shut it shut it all down. Now there's kind of a reemerging on the other side because it's like you know we can't take it anymore. You know we're destroying the planet, we're destroying each other. We need some kind of uh, we need some kind of uh, introduction to love and empathy here. And so I really believe that that is emerging and that the transition is happening. The tide is turning. Hopefully. Hopefully Trump doesn't blow up the world, you know, something like so. We could just hope and pray and, and have faith. Man, that's, re- that's really, really, really hopeful, fantastic vision, <laughs> and I would sign up to it immediately. Yeah. And, uh, yes, allowing for that last sentence, um, yeah, maybe this is the thing that kind of, you know, pulls us through. Yeah, we we as, a, as, a, as a series of cultures do respond um, to war, if nothing else. So perhaps the fact that there's... Um, there's there's a war uh, going on in the psyche of many people, and that the you know the mental health of our culture is seriously compromised. Which one might argue that perhaps the election of Donald Trump is an example of that? Yes, it um, is. Yes, yes. Uh, so so yeah, I mean, if that allows us to kind of push through into something better, then yeah, I absolutely sign sign me up, Mike. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's almost it's just strange that that's the way that things work in this kind of almost creative destruction kind of way where there's there has to be almost a death of the old order for the new order to to emerge. And and, you know, the part of the old order is they, they they're they're playing a certain they're playing certain sets of games. And, you know, one of the things that you talk about in your book is playing games. And it's like, you know, if we human beings can realize that we you know, that we can, you know, kind of. Uh, look at things from a perspective of of gameplay and and mm-hmm. when we grow to maybe learn to love each other a little bit more and open up and stop with the kind of aggressive games that we're playing then we can do all these other kinds of things where we can explore all these new realms and all these new possibilities and i think that's in in one of the chapters in your book with uh the uh the the adventures into the ultra ultra world yeah, yeah. I mean, there's oh man, there's a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, obviously, I I subscribe to the to the, the Bill Hicks model of what we need to do is explore inner and outer, outer yes. space together forever. That would right. be, you know, that's obviously what what we need. You know, that's that's the sort of the 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 intention of it. I mean, um, yeah. There's 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 a whole bunch of of um, stuff that I think is really interesting in terms of. Um, this idea of kind of yeah exploration and one of the things i put in the book i think in actually sort of fairly early on it it kind of says look there's lots of reasons why you might want to take drugs and um it, it says you know you might want to uh you might just believe that you know the unexamined life is not worth living you know, like socrates says you know you need to go and check that out or you might want healing or you might want to explore a numinous experience or whatever but people take psychedelic drugs in large part to to find out what it's like you know mm. to explore this kind of this territory and is that explore that 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 desire to explore and to 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 thwart that at a um uh, at a, a psychological mental cultural level in the way that um legislation currently does mm-hmm. um is deeply deeply wrong cognitive liberty and all that yes. surely um yeah yeah. So uh, quickly, maybe touching on that, you know, with cognitive liberty, I, I feel like um, I guess I, I I don't know if it's really been I guess I could say with confidence, maybe it's not really the most popular meme right now. But I, I, I feel that it's it's pretty popular and it's, I think it's pretty important to talk about. Um, and so what is it like in, in the UK? Because a lot of people will make this connection with this kind of strange 
uh, obs- obsession, almost American obsession with like you know the liberty and individualism. These are very American values, but. I don't know. I kind of think that maybe that's true, but I think I kind of think that all people desire some form of liberty and freedom. I mean, wouldn't you agree with that? And what's, sure. the, and what's mean, like the current climate in the UK right now? Oh man, it's re- it's really really confused. Um, uh, unsurprisingly, um, aside of the kind of you know the bizarre political things that are happening at, at a governmental level, um, you have the um, last year was passed a, a, a brilliant piece of legislation called the Psychoactives Bill, which um, essentially criminalised any psychoactive uh, substance at all. Um, so it made it a criminal offence for a vendor to sell you something if they believed that you were going to get high on it, with mm. the exceptions, of course, of alcohol and tobacco and, um, you know, chocolate and whatever. Um, but um, so so we have a situation where obviously psychedelics are freely available. Some of them grow uh, in the landscape relatively easily. Um, they can be ordered by incantations on the dark web, I understand. Mm-hmm. So people have got this stuff. Um, but equally, if you go into a, a shop and uh, you happen to look like uh, you might be a young person trying to purchase some nitrous oxide, even if you are legitimately going to try and, I don't know, you know, use it for, you know, cake decorating or whatever it is people apparently use it for, <laughs> um, then you, you can't. Then if the if the vendor believes that you're going to use it for a psychoactive purpose, they shouldn't sell it to you. They'd be breaking the law were they to do so. Um, so, so we have this, and, and this was a piece of legislation enacted in order to catch a lot of the kind of, particularly the synthetic cannabinoids, um, but various other kind of uh, uh, legal high drugs. Um, some of which had undoubtedly had ended up when people had, had problematic relationships with them, and they, they, be, you know, they become associated with you know, various groups of people. Um, so it was a way of kind of cutting that off but actually it's a you know it's a it's a hilarious piece of legislation they had to write specifically to um catholic churches to tell them that incense would be fine and that's not a problem um <laughs> so uh because you know frankincense has a, a mood altering quality by the in terms of the definition of definition given in the uh, the act it's a psychoactive theoretically yeah, you know, you shouldn't be selling it if people are yeah, getting it, high on it. It is really a humorous thing, though, when you think about it. It seems almost arbitrary and and just foolish and and silly because you know you're, you're talking about uh, you know things that maybe alter your 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 consciousness or or whatever in a certain kind of way. I mean, why not make cake illegal? You know what I mean? It's like you're getting a sugar yeah, rush. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like well, you know, but certain because. We're we're talking ultimately. We're talking about the individual and 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 their their inner experience and and what happens to you when you consume something and you put that into your body. Whether it's something that alters your mind or it's something that alters your blood sugar or it's something that alters your you know digestive bowel movements or whatever it is makes you perspire and or any way that you that there's a, some kind of reaction that happens when you ingest something into your body. The fact that there could be a legislation about that is is extremely silly uh, to me and and you yeah. know really there's this there's this tragic thing that's happening where we're preventing people from exploring themselves and this inner discovery and this inner journey 
And and you talk about this in your book with you know the the ways that we can go about uh, cultivating an experience to have you know blissful inner inner journeys and inner experiences. And and like you mentioned before, I love that Bill Hicks exploring the inner space and outer space together. But that is one of the most crucial elements. So I guess I don't know. Maybe let's talk a little bit about some of that stuff, like you know the the kind of inner exploration techniques and the kind of things that that, that the inner inner journey can provide you with. Okay, so so you're going to take some drugs. You're going to take a psychedelic. You're going to you're going to kind of engage with this experience. And the way that the book works is it it, it talks about various ways that you might do that, depending to some extent on the substance that you're using. So if it's a short acting substance, you might you know if it's DMT, for example, you might sort of sit together and and just take turns, you know, using the pipe and maybe use some. Uh, some music and there are examples given about the kind of you know shamanic styles of singing that you might experiment with or you know other techniques you could use to kind of hold the space but you can also do things like um so in in, in the book one of the uh sort of inner world kind of guided journey things that's given is like a meditation on life and death and breath right and it's just a it's a it's a meditation that's just written within a kind of Carl Sagan style envelope of the language of science. So it talks about how our bodies, you know, ultimately come from these aeons, dead stars, which, you know, in a sense, breathed out, they expanded and pushed all the atoms that we're now composed of sitting here in this moment breathing. So it's a way of kind of bringing attention to how, you know, how utterly literally awesome and sublime is the very fact that, you know, you're sitting here breathing in and out. Right. So a lot of the te- a lot of the techniques are, are kind of are kind of like that. Some of them are quite uh, are about holding whole ritual space. Some of them are quite light touch. So, for example, there is breathwork techniques that are given, mm-hmm. um, and the, the, uh, there are techniques of uh, say taking an intention um, that you might have a particular. I don't know, aspect of yourself you want to work on. Let's imagine it's a psychological kind of thing. Um, and then, in, you know, encoding that uh, into into a word or into a mantra, into a sound, and then just using that when you're out clubbing on the dance floor. So when you're in that, what amounts to, a, you know, a sacred moment, a special magical moment, then deploying the technique there and then just having a nice evening. Yeah. Yeah. So the book, the book provides these kind of, like meditative things, you can kind of just, you know, you could record these. Uh, I think on the um, the blog site that I've got, there's a there's a uh, an audio version of that particular meditation. There are things that are kind of formal sort of ceremonies that you can have, and there there are also examples of kind of practices that you could drop in to whatever it is, you know, or, uh, that you're doing when you're tripping. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. It's re- it really is because. I I kind of subscribed to the school, you know, a, a while ago, I guess maybe six, seven years ago or so when I first started experimenting with, uh, you know, psychedelics and, and whatnot. I, I, I got into the kind of Terrence McKenna school of just blast your brains out and you don't really, it's, it was just kind of like, you don't really need to do anything because the substance does sure. it all for you. It's just like, you don't yep. need, I remember he was giving this like famous uh, speech that's been on YouTube and clipped up and all this stuff about like, you don't have to, you know, bow your head and be shuffled around by beady eyed little men and breathe in certain <laughs> ways. And, you know, it just works. You just take it and it works. So I kind of but but then as I grew and as I you know got older and had more and more experiences, I learned that, yeah, it's it is useful to kind of. 
um, be able to develop some kind of set and tools and practice and to, and then like you said to be able to have this kind of like psychedelic minded toolkit where you can employ it into situations and use kind of breath work and mindfulness practice and that's a, such an important thing one of the things that I remember uh, from an early LSD trip is like all of a sudden when it came on it's like oh the world is like alive and breathing now so the breath mm-hmm. the breath is such an important thing and as I've gotten older in my personal in my in my journey, like I've, I just started to get into th- this kind of breath work and doing pra- the the Wim Hof method practice uh, of breathing and uh, and doing uh, meditation and focusing on the breath, and so yeah, it's so important and and and. Um, and, and, I mean, sure, Terence yeah. Ter- Ter- bless him. I mean, he, you know, peace be upon him. I mean, you know, I I, I really like Terence McKenna's work. I think he's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Um, but but I think I think also. Uh, yes. Okay. So let's take an ex- another example. Let's let's imagine. Um, uh, uh, well, let's take his example. You're working with mushrooms. Yes, it is absolutely possible to take five grams of psilocybin in silent darkness, and there is a value in that experience. I, I would certainly, there's no way that I would I would deny that. There's also a value in taking perhaps a lower dose and going to a really astonishing, beautiful environment for a party with your friends, where you will be dancing and you'll be interacting. There's a value in that experience as well. Mm-hmm. There's an experience. There's a value in microdosing. There's a value in abstinence. Um, you know, I'm I'm not a huge fan of the notion of a heroic dose. Because I think that, um, as I've said before to other people, if I told you that I'd taken a heroic dose of whiskey and I found that I would vomited all over myself and my friends, <laughs> I wouldn't expect you to applaud. Oh, well done for taking a big load of whiskey. You know, that's not that's not the interesting thing. And the interesting thing about Terence McKenna was not the fact that he was a person taking five grams of psilocybin in silent darkness. It's what came out is what he as a shaman was able to then to bring to the world, to bring to culture and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, if he if he had managed to do that by taking, you know, a, a very low dose of something that would make no difference either. You know, it's it's the it's the output that, that is, is important in that instance. Right. But I think that, you know, if you if you think about the um, the nature of psychedelics, if you take enough of anything, you'll find that your memory will be impaired. So you won't remember the experience or you'll only remember portions of it. Now, that may have a kind of a deep psychological kind of or embodied you know, healing or, or beneficial process. But being able to remember what's going on and being able to kind of cognize and sometimes being able to interact with the environment in which you find yourself. So if, for example, you take a lower dose of something and you go to a museum or you go to an art gallery, you will have that kind of experience. Yes, you could take five times the dose and sit in a darkened room. That's fine, too. But I wouldn't necessarily privilege one above the other. Oh, this is good because this just reminded me of of what you were talking about actually before we were recording. When you were talking about the theater space and, and the, you know, mm. kind of creating these 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 cathedral like you know theatrical spaces that foster a kind of natural almost psychedelic experience or can even enhance one's psychedelic experience just by being in this kind of setting of awe and majesty and wonder right i mean you you, you yeah, said something I mean, so so nice before we recorded about this yeah it's also about sort of how human beings respond to this experience so i mean yes you could um you you could take a you know a, a mind shatteringly large dose and just being silent darkness but if you look at the you know the cultures that make use of um you know mushrooms or ayahuasca or whatever then there is these very often huge artistic kind of outputs that come in the form of shipibo textiles or they come mm-hmm. in which old beadwork or they come in you know people 
output. They want to express this experience in in whatever way, whether it's kind of you know groovy fractal T-shirts or whether or not it's kind of something that doesn't look psychedelic on the surface, but is nevertheless informed by um, an engagement with those kinds of things. And humans always do this. Humans always create ritualized sacred spaces. We create these astonishing theatres with you know their rococo designs and where where there's a there's a curtain over the screen. There's no reason to have a curtain over the screen in a theater in, in a, sorry in a, in a cinema yeah. there's no you know it's it's not like actors are going to appear behind it or have to you know shuffle through it um it's there because this is part of the the uh the ritual space that we're creating we're creating something that emerges in first as uh, theater and then becomes cinema where we share this kind of collective dreaming which we call film yeah. you know which is this astonishing transformative technology and there's another example i mean you know uh things like film uh things like light things like music all this stuff when we engage with those things with psych- psychedelics or, or with you know natural environments we get so much out of that experience so much out of that experience and Ter- terence mckenna is right in as much as you don't yeah of course you don't need some guy leading you through this because you can do this autonomously mm-hmm. if you've got the techniques if you've you know uh, read around the internet, you know, maybe you've, you know, you've read the stuff that I've, I've put in this book. You can develop these techniques yourself. You don't have to buy into any big religious system. You don't have to buy into any particular way of thinking about the world. But you and maybe your uh, affinity group can do this stuff because the basic techniques of creating those uh, supportive, uh, beautiful environments, for instance, or those basic techniques of bringing attention to something. Um, and bringing kind of a focus and an awareness into w- whatever it is you're doing, that stuff is the same throughout all of these religions, throughout right. all of these cultures. Yeah. And we can mine that technology and we can press it into the service of our autonomous spirituality. Yeah, it's it's it really is so so fascinating when you get into all the nitty gritty of everything and get get granular with this and and you're, you know talking about you know when you're talking about the the Shipibo patterns and the art and everything being created from that space and you know Terence and Dennis McKenna's vision when they went down to La Torreira to ex- experiment and find things to bring bring something back from the psychedelic realm I mean that is essentially what we're seeing with with this happen being you know, the artwork being informed as you said by these psychedelic experiences and then we're projecting that into the world with this beautiful collective kind of dream <clears throat> and visionary state and something that you talk about in the book is is this you know the power of visualization and the power to mm-hmm. kind of you know it's really like creating your your own world and i think that that's such something that's so important for individuals to have the the, the freedom to do and to be um you know what's the word i'm looking for like empowered you know empowered to mm. to trust in themselves and to and to visualize and manifest things for themselves and have their own personal kind of way of of relating to the experience and you talk about these you know finding the, like a power object um can you talk mm. a little bit about about that kind of visualizing and and that kind of practice okay so so um 
I, I would imagine a number of people who are listening are going to be aware of things like a kind of shamanic journeying technique, let's call it that. Yeah. So uh, where you have something like a drum, a, a simple drum rhythm, and uh, the instructions are normally that you just kind of relax, go into the drum rhythm. Eventually, you will find a magical doorway of some description, which could be anything, could be a, a crack in the uh, in the sidewalk, could be a, uh, a, a hole in a tree. You'll pass through that and you'll find yourself uh, somewhere. And in that somewhere, eventually, there's your magic animal or your power animal or the totem animal or whatever we want to call it mm. so this is a this this basic technique this idea of kind of going into the unconscious going into um the uh, what what some people are rather poetically called the deep mind which is mm. a term i rather like so it sounds yeah. sexier than unconscious subconscious yeah. so go, you go into the deep mind you go into this kind of you know this uh, meditative reflective but also kind of free associative kind of state and you use in that particular instance the thing that induces the alter state of consciousness is drumming. Now, of course, what you can do is you can take a technique like that and you can add, usually not a, a, a quotes heroic dose, but some of, of a psychedelic. And you can use these techniques, you can use those kind of methods that you see within um, the, the, you know, the kind of shamanic traditions with these substances, unsurprisingly, because. Uh, although there are undoubtedly forms of shamanism that are less engaged with entheogens, frankly, most of them are to some extent. You know, so a lot of these technologies, a lot of these methods of of uh, going into the unconscious in order to perhaps obtain something, to obtain a symbol, to obtain um, something that rep that represents an idea that perhaps you'll only later understand. Those things can be tremendously valuable, um, and they allow people to just. The technique is really simple. It's really stripped down. You don't have to believe in anything other than the wonder of your own neurochemistry. That's all you have to, you know, try this stuff out, see if it works for you. If it doesn't, abandon it, try something else. Yeah. So what are what are some things I'm interested in, in learning maybe a little bit about um I, you know, I guess let's talk a little bit more about kind of this kind of the, the magical element of it. Like, you, you know, I guess we, mm. we, we, we've been pretty much touching on this the whole time, but I want to get a little bit deeper into into that, because that's something that's kind of more of a territory that I'm familiar, uh, un, unfamiliar with is kind of, uh, you know, like occult, uh, occult magic or, or, you know, yeah, yeah. wizardry yeah. or source. Uh, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm so, I'm so far, I'm so far out of that field that I don't really, I don't really have that much information. So what can, what can maybe tell some, you know, talk about that kind of element. Okay. Yeah. Of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So, so my background is that um, I describe myself as an occultist. So I'm interested in mysterious stuff. I'm interested yeah. in the limits of experience in, in, in a variety of different ways. And I'm a magician in as much as I utilize magic. Magic for me is the technology of the imagination. So it is sometimes stuff that appears to look a bit like psychology. Sometimes it's stuff that appears to look a little bit like religion or various other types of spiritual practice. And what it boils down to mostly is it's about exploring the um, the imagination and the, the relationship between uh, my my ex everyday experience in the world and all the other entities that you know that I encounter in the world, like people, you know, objects, whatever, whatever. So, rather than trying to kind of turn the imagination down and try to get like a an intrasubjective agreement about what the world looks like, which is what we do in science. Mm -hmm. Or to take the imagination and try and sort of remove it, which is what you might do in, say, a martial arts practice, where you don't want to second guess your opponent, but only respond to exactly the incoming stuff. 
instead of doing those two types of process, you opt for a third process, which is to say that the imagination, you know, the, the, the room in which I'm standing at the moment is mostly constructed in my imagination. So I know that the, 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 you know, there's the sensory information that's incoming, but what stitches it together is it stitched together in, in this imaginal space. So I'm going to actively work with that. So I'll use things like visualization. I can imagine, I can visualize something in the room that isn't actually there but then it is effectively there because it's in the imaginal world mm -hmm. and there are various ways that, that that you know you can think about magic but one way to think about it is a technology of the imagination that allows us to increase the limits of our achievable reality so we look at the things that we you know we want to achieve for ourselves and for those people around us and this may not need be tedious pragmatic things like i want a new job but equally it might be and we look at how we can skillfully use these techniques of the imagination to extend the limits of what we're capable of doing as people. Right. And um, and yeah. that's kind of so so um, you know lots of things like I don't know like NLP or hypnosis or whatever. Some of these are elements of what was previously described as magic up until you know the last couple of hundred years. Um, some of the kind of scientific processes of actually observing the world and, uh, and, and using our relationships with the world as our primary source of knowledge rather than a religious text. That's an aspect of magic. Utilizing um, techniques that change consciousness in order to affect you know, the, the imaginal space. So whether that's breath work, whether that's ritual, ceremony, drama, um, use of entheogens, any of these sorts of things. That's also like another aspect of it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in, in the book, it, yeah. you know, magic, magic sort of appears in that as a as as a um, an element within it because that's kind of my my background. And I came to psychedelics much much later uh, after having done you know years and years of various types of magical practice. Um, and then I was really interested in how we create rituals, how we create spaces to kind of hold these experiences that I was encountering with psychedelics. Right. Wow. That's yeah. That's very interesting, and it, 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 it's it, it is almost strange that I guess for the for for somebody who isn't really familiar with this with with this world, to them it might sound you know like maybe uh, woo woo y or something kind of far out or something like that. But really, when we think about it, you know, we're we're really we're engaged in magic right now. I mean, the the mere fact that I'm able to communicate you is like communicate with you right now through this wonderful thing we call the internet and this microphone that I'm talking into and the you know the symbols that I'm the the images that I'm forming in my head of thoughts that are coming out in forms of symbols that are language and I'm kind of you know casting spells as as so to speak as as I talk and and. And, and then you interpret that. So it, it's really, you know, we, we, we encounter this stuff in, in our waking lives. We create the world out of magic is, is really what, what it is. But I think for the, the kind of layman, for the person who's not really tuned into this frequency, it seems almost like uh, fanta too fantastical for them. But when you stop and think about it, it's totally legitimate and, and totally real, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, if we think, you know, yeah, or, I mean, l yeah, look at it. We we pass symbols between ourselves that represent value, which we call money, and we don't even make them physical these days. We make them kind of these abstract representations. You know, fundamentally, we're imaginal creatures. The technology that you know of the uh, phone network that we're currently using to communicate 
um, that's a that's you know those those technologies all of those things are very very much informed by magical ways of thinking of the world and you only have to uh, technosis by Eric Davis I think is the book that I would probably recommend yeah uh, in that respect mm-hmm. to kind of to sort of grok some of that you know this is this is kind of what we're talking about here yeah um, we we are symbol making we are symbol making and meaning making creatures and what magic does and there's kind of loads of different versions of it and you know I've just got my particular take on 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 this thing um it has all these kind of different symbol sets and all the all, all these different sort of styles but what they what it, they boil down to for me is they boil down to attempts to uh change consciousness uh and and uh to use the technology of that change of consciousness in the imaginal world to do something and those the, the, it's the doing i think that's the interesting thing in the sense that I think when people have a kind of a naive view of magic, they imagine that uh, uh, you know people who practice must have you know either terribly good luck and spend all their time winning the lottery and all these sorts of things. Were that to be true, that would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. But actually, what it's more about is it's more about this kind of um, the developing of this kind of imaginal uh, world, this imaginal way of thinking about the universe, so that you have this kind of interconnectivity between things, and you can be one hopes more responsive to you know, environmental uh, cues. You can be, perhaps, one hopes, more in touch with what's going on at the sort of the deeper levels of oneself. And you can, one hopes, use that in order to have, you know, a, a, a really, uh, you know, a, a life, a style of being which is authentic and which is good for you and good for, you know, those people around you, which is an enabling uh, thing. It allows you to address your difficulties and your problems and the ongoing hassles that we have just as human beings so some people kind of you know have a very kind of religious styled version of this some people have a very kind of psychological styled version of this and yeah obviously when you see all the clutter on some freakish altar going on here what's going on here is the manipulation of the imaginal world by that practitioner and they may imagine that in lots of different ways that's just you know the language i like to use to describe what's going on now I think that um, what, what's your experience with, um, you know, in, in the book, you took, kind of talk about, you know, sit, sitting for people and kind of, you know, creating a space and, and maybe having um, someone who faci- facilitates an experience uh, for someone mm. who, who wants to kind of be, I guess, m- more of like a psychonaut kind of person, having that person there, you know, the, the kind of responsibility that goes along with that. Um, so there's, there's kind of good aspects of that, uh, you know, making sure that you find someone that you trust and who's 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 right for you but also you know there's also some dangers in that maybe in people that maybe if they don't do the proper research or get informed that they can get into some kind of situation where there maybe is uh someone who doesn't have the the best intentions uh trying to uh do something uh energy sucking or, or something like that uh wh- what's your experience with with that Okay, so so I've I've been very very fortunate in as much as all of the uh, the groups and the individuals that I've worked with have all had, you know, they've been fantastic. They've been 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 amazing, um, and uh, I've never had any kind of you know, causes for concern. But equally, yeah, <laughs> when you take a psychedelic, you're you're placing yourself in a vulnerable situation. Yeah, so uh, you need to be just really thoughtful about who you're going to do that with. You know, if you're going to kind of cross continents and go and hang out with uh, a shaman you better have like some idea about who this person is mm-hmm. or if this person's going to come and sit with you uh, while you take a high dose of you know let's imagine you're going to do the silent darkness and five uh, grams 
but you just ha- happen to think that having someone else in the building might be a good plan. Make sure that person knows what's going on. Make sure that they know uh, that you know how how to operate. Make sure you trust them. Right. You know, obviously, um, this is I guess when you know we're, when we're uh, talking about spirits, we have to talk about the spirit of the person with whom you're going to you're going to take the trip. Uh, whether they're taking the same substance or not mm-hmm. and be re- just just be a little bit thoughtful about that because you know yeah you are you're opening yourself up at potentially quite a kind of intimate level so it's it's important to trust those that you're with right yeah no very very important definitely and and you know out of that you can gain there could be so much to be gained out of that you know as well having kind of you know, I don't want to say a guru or anything, but just people that are around that you can kind of, it could be like your, your buddy or someone like that. And then you can kind of, uh, get, get a a really good, um, sense of exploration and, and good use out of that. Now. So, so yeah, I think, uh, look, we could, we covered a lot of stuff. Um, uh, maybe we didn't get into every little thing, but, uh, as we kind of close in on, on about an hour here, uh, I was wondering, is there, is there anything that you wanted to kind of communicate in terms of, uh, what, you know, what you, you created this book and, and, and so, you know, getting higher, the manual for, for psychedelic ceremony, what do you hope that, that people, uh, get out of it and what do you hope that they, they do with it? And then, you know, on top of that, you know, there's a three part question. What do you, where do you, where do you see the, the kind of future going and where do you hope to see things going? Oh, okay. Um, all really good stuff. What do I hope for? What, what do I hope for the, for, for the book? Um, I'm really hopeful that it, uh, gets out there to people that they enjoy reading it, that they enjoy the experience of that, and I really hope it helps to inspire them and maybe inform them in terms of their own practice. So, um, you know, I, I would really, really like to have—I don't know—my my imagined uh, future goal for something like this book would be to get, you know, uh, a couple of emails coming through saying, "Oh, we used some of the ideas. It was really helpful. It was brilliant." Because it isn't, you know, it's an offering to the community. I'm I'm not doing this to get rich. This is not this is not going to kind of pay all the bills. So, so I'm really hopeful that people find it useful. I did a talk at um, at the university in Canterbury a little, little while ago at the Psychedelic Society there, and a group of um, students came up to me, so 20-some you know, young undergraduate students, 20 or so, and they said, oh, you know, we're interested in this stuff, and, you know, we have kind of encountered these materials, but we don't really know about, like, any shamans to go to or anything like this. And I said, guys, you know, hold fire. <laughs> There's a book that I hope will come some way towards answering your need. So I'm hoping that people like that, maybe, you know, experienced practitioners who want to kind of just reflect on their own practice as well, will read the book and will will, will benefit from it. Yeah. So it's a, it's a kind of an offering to the community. And I hope I hope it works out in that in that kind of uh, uh, in that way for people. Yeah. And, um, and, and definitely just real real quickly, I just want to touch on that. But you're saying like the younger kids, you know, I, I'm 30 and like, you know, like people younger than me. I mean, they, they message me and it's just such a great feeling to know that you have. Uh, that you're providing something of value for people, that you're giving people another option to educate themselves and to have, you know, to use something. You know, someone might pick up this book and, and, and might change their life. You know, they might be profoundly influenced by what you've put down here. So to, to offer that service, especially to the, to, the, to the younger crowd of people who are exploring and, and picking out wh- where they want to go with their lives and, and just doing, you know, thinking big ideas. You know, when you're young, you're in college, you're, you're ambitious and you have, 
have you're filled with uh, you know idealism and and hope and and all this stuff. So to provide them with uh, with such a beautiful artistic and and comprehensive book of of education is 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 a service in itself. And so yeah, uh, I just wanted to to add that to what you were saying. So then, so then, what you know where in your in your like. I guess uh, I, I try to ask this question to a lot of people on, when they when they come on the show, but it's like I want to know like what what would your ideal world look like? Like what what do you want the what do you want to see the future like? And and how do you how do you want to see things unfold? I want to get a kind of a you know inside inside uh, Julian's brain for the the, the vision <laughs> the vision of your perfect kind of you know world because isn't that I think it's fascinating to think about you know if they if things if things were more free and open you know what kind of world we could have. I think we would have uh, potentially a world where um, without it being at the expense of other people, pleasure and fun would be uh, would be valued and celebrated. I think we could have a world where we manage our resources much more successfully and share things much more equitably across the planet. I think we could have a world which would allow us to behave more intelligently and compassionately in relation to uh, ourselves and uh, each other and uh, all the rest of the species that we we share the planet with, you know, and then we explore inner and outer space together forever. That's mm -hmm. what I would like. Yeah. And I think in terms of if we go fine grain to the uh, psychedelic experience, what I would like to see is changes in the culture and changes then in legislation, which made these experiences more accessible in a more supported way for more people. Because I think that these things can be really powerful medicines. So if you're a veteran with PTSD, you should be able to get psychotherapy with MDMA because it's going to really work. And if you're a, a young person who wants to explore what it means to be who they are and you want to be able to have the experience of a, you know, a supported psychedelic session, you should be able to go and get that. And if you want to go to a party and you just want to get a bit stoned with your friends, I would like to see that as uh, being possible as well. Right. And yeah. the way we go about doing that, the tactics that we use, whether we use licensing, whether we go primarily for a medical model, whether we talk about cognitive liberty and we, we, we really stress that as a, a sort of a human right whether or not we decide that we're going to go through you know the uh the process of uh looking for a kind of a religious um acceptability for these things there are many ways that we might change this particular situation for our culture but we must do it and we will hell yeah that's awesome i i am with you with, with that i'm and you know you're you're a part of this this movement that we have now where we're where we're moving the needle a little bit more to the side that we want it to be on we're we're slowly you know averting the disaster of the titanic hitting the iceberg we're slowly we've seen we've seen that happen before in history and now we're all grabbing the wheel and we're we're steering it uh, in a different direction and i and i think that is happening and and part of what you're doing that's so wonderful uh, julian is you know with your books and your work uh, specifically this one that we've been talking about in the podcast getting higher providing re readers with this safe useful kind of field guide you know these techniques to engage in, in with these plants and, and these substances and and what that does is not only educate people but it limits the f the fear and the stigma and you know the demonization around these things and and i think that you know human beings often fear what they don't understand and by providing them with more understanding in the way that you're doing here uh is is lessening that fear and is and is and is and is saying basically it's okay it's okay to come out and play and 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 prioritize these things and out of those things will not only learn 
about ourselves, but we'll actually improve our environments and each other in the process. And so, you know, thank you uh, so much for for your contribution to to this movement and to this effort and to doing that. And I think this, the you know, this book does that, and it, it really is the perfect kind of field guide and and pocket manual uh, that you can that people can use for this sort of thing. And then we can, you know lessen the fear and we can create a new environment of understanding and 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 and, you know when i was talking earlier before about with uh looking at some leary uh stuff and and back in the day and recently nick sand had passed away this famous uh orange sunshine uh, chemist and they were talking about you know when the laws changed you know and the it really affected the set and setting and now all of a sudden instead of having this beautiful experience now you were paranoid that you were going to get you know people were going to kick down your door and 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 you know when people hear about drugs you know they think you know these criminals that are in the streets you know smoke so by creating, you know, beautiful works of art like like what you're doing here and by by coming on my show to to talk about it and to explain it in such a poetic way that you have this entire show is really help helping to to lessen that fear, destigmatize that and provide people with the proper education, useful safe techniques they need to explore to explore this wonderful magical thing we call life. Mike, thank you very, very much for inviting me on the show. I mean, I'm I'm fortunate to have my name on the front of the book, but I'm only there by dint of having many, many fantastic sort of teachers and friends and guides and advisors and allies and people who've, you know, I've, as far as I can, understood their ideas and understood their techniques, taken my own experience and kind of put it out there. You know, there's lots more to come um, from lots of people on, on, you know, this subject about how we create the medicine for our culture, how we integrate the substance and the set and the setting, and of course that has to include changing the, uh, the the set that we many of us enter these experiences from, which is I am breaking the law now. Um, I'm doing something that could get me arrested. Right. So that has to change, you know, because uh, we know these things can be beneficial. We know these things can be medicines. And they can be medicines for us and for our for our culture. Mm-hmm. So if this book goes any way towards kind of helping to break the fear and to destigmatize things and to allow people as well to kind of, you know, almost in this revivalist kind of way, bear witness to the fact that they took LSD and either, as Bill Hicks says, they la- laughed their ass off mm-hmm. or and or they found something really valuable in that experience. And people like Steve Jobs and many other people coming forward and saying, I've engaged with this experience. It was really important for me. It was really powerful for me. There's more and more people doing that. So the more we can create a climate of normalizing it, you know, it's 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 that's that's one of the, one of the things that I hope goes some way to uh, to changing culture for the better. Yes, excellent. And the book is Getting Higher: The Manual of Psychedelic Ceremony. Julian Vane. It was a pleasure. It was an honor to have you on here. And um, yeah, pe- people can go and find you and and order the book. The book is on uh, everywhere. Why don't you tell people where they can reach you and follow you and and find the book and 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 purchase it? Okay, so uh, to to kind of get in get in touch with me, I um, maintain a blog which is called theblogofbaphomet.com, and um, so so you can find you know various writings by me and various other people, uh, uh, lots and lots of different articles kind of at, at that particular um, site. In terms of the book itself, that's published by uh, Psychedelic Press, Psychedelic Press UK. Um, 
And uh, you can find that in, um, I think it's in the uh, spiritual books section of Amazon. And it's also in the party planning section of Amazon, um, which is which is a, a lovely joke on the part of my publisher, bless them. Yeah. Um, so Psychedelic Press UK, they produce a really, really good journal as well. And they produce lots of other kind of really cool psychedelic books. Um, so, it, yeah, in terms of getting in touch there. And also I'm involved in a thing called the Psychedelic Museum Project, which is um, psychedelicmuseum.net. So this is kind of in the early stages. What we want to do is we want to create or we have created some pop up exhibitions in London. We're going to do a big one at the Psychedelics Conference Breaking Convention and uh, we're going to hopefully do them elsewhere. I'd love to do some in the States. Yeah. So we have a kind of uh, uh, a system whereby people who have cool stuff from, you know, back in the day that they want to share stories. They want to share. They send us photographs of the objects and a bit of a write up. And then when we do these pop up exhibitions, we gather all this stuff together and uh, give people the opportunity to, again, reflect on the history and normalize these experiences. People have been doing this stuff for like tens of thousands of years, guys. Right, right. And the blip of our legislation is just like a little blip. Yeah. Soon it will be gone. That's but amazing. We need to kind yeah. of, you know, yeah. fact the history on this. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and just by all these things you're doing and with the museum, I mean, that's incredible. You know, you just have the all these, the various different kinds of artifacts and uh, and, and, and physical pieces of, of psychedelic history or, you know, just kind of juxtaposed together, creating this wonderful, interesting, diverse space. Uh, that's fantastic. So that's great. I mean, you know, I wish I could, uh, if, if, if I was venturing over there, uh, I would love to, 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 to come and, and check all these things out. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm across the pond here and, uh, and tied up and tied down in this, in this environment we call New York city, this weird, this uh -huh. weird, this weird, this weird place called New York City that uh, somehow kind of uh, it, it's got this I got this love hate thing with with it you know it's this massive well, kind of we'll matrix find, that I'm in but we'll, we'll find a space we'll yeah. find a space we'll call out for people to get their get their stuff together and we'll put on an exhibition in New York which is fantastic that would I be mean, really cool yeah it, it could be it could be done it could be done I mean there's we've had lots of people kind of coming to us with all kinds of archives you know like and and you know material from people who were there at sort of you know ground zero leary and so on you know all these kind of characters we've got material that's being donated to us we've had uh, recently we had uh, a guy who was um uh, andy romanoff who was one of the hog farmers so yeah mm -hmm. the first kind of hippie commune in the states sent through some stuff uh to, for the for the museum and yeah that's that's what we want to do. We want to kind of do these kind of pop-up exhibitions. So if someone's listening and they've got a suitable space yeah. and is interested, please get into yeah, I might know some people. May, we'll, we'll, we'll stay in touch. Let's let's talk about that because that's very interesting. Cool. You know, it's 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 cool that we have this history to look back on. You know, and we can show it in a, in an, uh, an exhibition kind of style way, and and you know, really give a sense of tradition and and purpose and normalization to these things. So it's wonderful work that you're doing. It was a pleasure speaking with you. I really loved you. Loved having you on the on the podcast, guys. Go follow Julian's work. Go to his website. Get his book. I mean, this is just phenomenal stuff. And uh, yeah, until next time, thanks for tuning in to Mike Adelic.